in the Grotto Pod. I'm in the Grotto Pod, just barely. How's Joining that? me here in the Grotto Pod is Bridget Quinn, author. You look fully in. Uh, I'm so in, I'm out. Or I'm so out, really? I'm in. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm barely that makes here. BQ, let me tell you something. Please. I have been in San Francisco for a grand total of... <laughs> yeah. Four hours. And you've done more than I've done all day, even though I've been really busy all day. I did more than I usually do in a week because I'm That's leaving crazy. again tomorrow morning. I but I found some time to record in. a podcast here at yes. the old Grotto Pod. Uh, this week, our guest is Victoria... Piantech? Piantech. We're going to ask her. Are we ever going to pronounce the name correctly? No. Apparently, That's going to be our shtick. We can't cards, pronounce anything. Not in the cards for us is the job of being the person standing at the stage right. announcing the names of the graduates. I'm call you Larie. Yeah. Rosen. Rosen. It's always oh, Rosen. Rosen. Oh, yeah. Oh, Rosen. Rosen. Yeah. That makes sense, actually. Yeah. Uh, Victoria wears more than one hat. She does. She, well, many of us do. This is true because if some of us, if we don't, we sunburn our hands. <laughs> Victoria uh, just published a book called The Spirit of Cattail County. It is a middle grade YA Southern Gothic mystery ghost story. Whoa, I think it's just middle grade. Can you be middle grade and YA? I think middle grade is included in the YA umbrella. Oh, it is. I didn't we'll know. Let's out. find out. Yeah, let's find okay. out. Because well, this is great. The great thing is, um, and, oh, by the way, and the book has been released to stellar reviews. Uh, and no. it's kind of like got this spooky southern feeling, like southern gothic-y, without Which being too dark. she comes by, honestly, because she, not that she's spooky. No, she maybe. She might be. Never met her. No. Uh, she's southern. Right, from Florida. Florida. Not Florida for all of my uh, oh, what? similarly, people with a similar Jewish background as me, East Coast Jewish background. They say it differently not than other Florida. people. Not Florida. That's like Miami, okay. Florida, Florida, further up the eastern coast. I didn't know there was Some different ways to say it. Some call it Florabama. Actually, oh. I think that's the west coast is Florabama. Okay. What coast is she from? I heard east coast. I think so, I, too. I saw the town. I believe that's right. But I forgot what it was, which is not like me. Anyways, <laughs> me uh, she would know how to delineate between <laughs> she YA. She would know how to pronounce her name and what part of Florida she's from. <laughs> which, I mean, we really need her in here because these are the we answers do. we need. But she yep. also would be able to tell us the difference between middle grade literature and whether that is a subset of YA literature or YA does not include middle grade literature because she has a very, very specific education and a very specific job. Oh, that's she's right. not busy writing books for middle middle age. She readers. is a literary associate to uh, Laura Rennert at the Andrea Brown Literary Agency, which is a very prestigious um, YA children's lit agency. Yeah, you can tell they're prestigious because they don't return my emails. Did you email them? Long time ago, yeah. Oh, about your yeah. stuff. Yeah, I yeah, thought you meant about yeah. Victoria. <laughs> no, no, no. I went just to the old Google um, to learn about Victoria. Okay, uh, well, she, I have like I have like a little hint for you. What's that? Don't uh, send out emails? No, no. Um, this time, Jennifer March Soloway is also associated with that agency. Oh. And she has been on the Grotopod. And actually, anyone who's interested in YA and agents might want to listen to that episode. And then when you're done with that, follow her on Twitter because she is not shy about dishing out the goods. Yeah. And uh, publishing on YA. Querying. Querying. Yeah. She's actually a great resource. People should follow her on Twitter for sure. But she's not here today. No. Victoria is here today. uh, And she's going to talk about uh, her path, which, uh, yeah, I just read an interview with her uh, that was uh, written a month ago. Yeah, because the book just came out. And she had said that she always only wanted to be a writer. Mm-hmm. However. She was a teacher. 
that path became a little as it as it does. We know about that. It was a little. Uh, it was not a direct line. It was not a linear path. But you know, um, kind of like oh my gosh, now I feel so bad. Jack, Gordon, Gordon Jack, Gordon Jack, Gordon Jack. <laughs> Sorry, Gordon. He's bicycling around Italy right now, so he's not listening. Hopefully he doesn't. He has two first names. It's confusing for me. It is confusing. Um, at any rate. three. Probably has a middle yeah, name, too. Yeah, true. Wouldn't it be weird, though, if his middle name was completely... Johnson. Or no, like Stool. Oh, Stool. I apologize, listeners. I apologize for my co-host's behavior. It's, we have that was seen, you know, the thing is, I've been traveling a lot. She's been traveling a lot. And I haven't been able to influence her. And this is what happens. She goes off the rails. And oh, the the level of discourse uh, okay. it, it, At any it rate, becomes scatological. I, <laughs> it becomes juvenile. Made a, I made a mistake. What the Grotto Pod uh, needs is an influx of class and dignity. I'm, I'm here to it give here. it to you um, in but a sweaty way. Similar to the way that Gordon is a yeah. high school teacher and yeah. writes YA, which is about being a high school student. Correct. Um, Victoria taught middle grade, so she, she might have grades. a better grasp of who her audience is than your average. She might. And, like and I am really interested. I remember, and I'm not going to tell this story. I'll tell her when she's here. Oops, sorry. But I'm interested in anyone who goes through a teaching program, mm-hmm. focuses on the middle grades. Me too, actually. Because Very hard. my understanding is it's not everyone who wants to do that. But people feel that way about high school too. True. But my personal experience was yeah. it was hard to talk people into it. Well, I can tell you that... Having taught high school for years, ninth grade is way harder to teach than 12th grade. grade. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we're not here to talk about us. We're here to talk about Victoria Piontek. Oh, I want to say something. Oh, go ahead. Uh, That's what we're here for. Okay. I want to say that um, you were saying that she always wanted to be a writer. And when she got her MFA, she got it in a very specific... um, Area, genre, like this. Genre? Anyway, her. I do. Okay, I do. Because I didn't even know you could get this. So her MFA is in creative writing for children and young adults. Yeah, that really just jumped out at me, too. I want to know more about that. Uh, Is that from Holland's University? Is that where she's Yeah, Holland's U in Virginia. So, uh, boy, uh, I'm going to talk a little about geography when she gets here, too, and talk about how that influences Mm -hmm. her work. Yeah, for sure. For Southern, we haven't had very many Southerners in here, and that Southern writing thing, it's a thing. Oh, it's a total thing. No. And I mean, it's in America. It's, it's a, it, it is its own genre in America, don't you think? Yes, I agree. So and we're going to talk about that This a has a little bit of a ghost story yeah, part of it, gothic. which I think is a little, a little southern. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So she may have parked by now. Okay. She called us and she was driving around looking for a spot, which is not uncommon here near the Grotto Although Park. I did check. It was hard to park. Because we're recording at a much later time than usual. Right. And I suddenly it's panicked. Rush hour, poor thing. I know. But I panicked that there was a Giants game. No Giants game, but this could be her. So we're going to let her uh, get here, and we'll uh, we'll check back in with you next time with Victoria Piontek. Victoria, welcome to the Grotto Pod. I'm sorry it was such an arduous journey to get here. That's okay. Just over the bridge and uh, through the woods. <laughs> <laughs> through, the, through the nightmare. <laughs> yeah, normally we get punished trying to get to you, to the wonderful wilds of Marin County, but apparently it's just as bad coming back in. It's just as bad coming back in. The thing is, once you get to Marin, they have these things where you can park. You mean these spots big, on the street yes. with, with lines? Well, no, it's like a whole area that people park their oh, cars. <laughs> right, right, right. I've it's heard a big of parking that. lot. It's called the parking lot. And here, heard that, it's harder. But, but <clears throat> compared... To the lush wilds where you grew up. 
Oh, yeah, we need to talk about that. Oh, of Florida? The, yeah. reason why, the reason why we bring this up first is because your book... Uh, the Spirit of Cattail County. ...seems steeped in an inescapable connection to that part of the country. Yes, yes. I think in a lot of ways, when I started drafting the book, we had just recently moved here. And even though I traveled around a lot, Mm -hmm. I was really missing home and warmth because if you know anything about the Bay Area, it is very cold all year round. And this is from someone who lives out in Marin. We can sit without the sun belt. (laughs) Exactly. And so I just, I think in many ways, this book is a love letter to Florida where I grew up and that family heritage. Um, And I just kind of took every piece of um, foliage and uh, scenery that I could and just kind of infused it into my story. Don't you find it's easier to write about places when you're not there? Oh, yeah. It is, Because you miss them. Absolutely. Is it missing it? But even beyond that, beyond um, thinking of where you were from when you were writing it, the setting plays a role in the structure of the story. It kind of seeps into the story. It's a, it's a southern story. It is. A is that story. conscious, or were you just missing your hometown and it just sort of seeped in? I think that I'm more keep than using the word seep when I talk about Florida. <laughs> seep's it's kind good, of swampy. Yeah, it's swampy. swampy. It's a good swampy word. Um, I think it's because I think Southerners have this sense of storytelling that they grow up with. Mm. And even though my mom and my dad, they wouldn't consider themselves writers per se, they were great storytellers. Mm. And That's the best kind of writers. The best kind of writers. Yeah. And then and there's always so much of the um, making the normal big to tell a good story, mm-hmm. and so they would do that a lot. So I think there is a little bit of um, the, the surroundings always seep into the story. Well, I'm saying seep now, too. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I, put, I, I put it seeping into your better head. better than the other S word of the day. That made me think of, uh, of Big Fish. It's a movie, but it was it was a screenplay that was fantastic that I read years ago, and it was about a, a son whose father told tall tales. That all turned out to be true. A southern son, <laughs> yeah. They all turned out to be true. Like and some iteration of them turned out to be true? No, they all turned out the, to be true. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I've never yeah. heard of that. Is yeah, it, it was a mediocre movie. Yeah. But a friend of mine had showed me the screen the screenplay before, years before it was a movie. Like, man, I think it might be based on a book, too. It's not yeah. Carl Hyacin? No. Okay. No. Because he has some fish book. There's a lot of fish, okay. but it's a completely different type okay. of thing than a Carl Hyacin. And as I, in which part of Florida we were discussing that, because if you're from the South, then you're clearly from Florida, not Florida, where my ancestors are from, <laughs> or moved to eventually yeah. when they They're reach that age, there. when they have to move from New York down to Florida. 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 Yeah, um, Florida. From, I'm from Jacks. Well, I was born in St. Augustine, so my... Oh, my that both, sounds so nice. It is really <laughs> nice. It's um, Both my parents were raised in St. Augustine. Oh, wow. And... Um, um, and we were, my mom and I were all, my sister were all born at the same hospital. Isn't that the oldest town in America? It is, it is. the oldest yes. town in America. Wow. And don't get in a fight with someone in Quebec City who thinks that oh, it yeah. was the I'm oldest. so done with the French. <laughs> I'm so done with them. Even the full French, yes. like in Quebec? <laughs> or the Quebecois, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it is the oldest um, city in America. So it also is really steeped in ghost stories and history. And, and it's a really great, fun place to visit. Mm-hmm. And it is a very traditional southern town and and then we moved to Jacksonville so kind of those places are very interconnected Jacksonville mm-hmm. and St. Augustine is that one reason why we said it's steeped in history one of the things I really noticed in reading the book was a kind of lack of very specific time yes is that do you think that growing up somewhere where you have these layers of history 
uh, aids and that kind of imagination. I mean, can you just talk about that a little bit in general? A little bit about timelessness. I yeah. mean, I think there is some about growing up, but I think there is a natural, um, when writing middle grade, to try and create a story that's not stuck in any one mm -hmm. time so that it can kind of live for a long time in a classroom or a library shelf so that kids can... Um, you know, kid, modern kids right. kind of going forward, right. they can it can keep having a new readership. And if it gets too steeped in current events, oh, they're steeped again. Um, <laughs> steeped. <laughs> wow, it's steeped and seeped. And, well, well, let me ask you this because you work for a literary agency, and it is uh, an agency that's dedicated to I don't know young adults, middle grade mm -hmm. children's literature. Is that something that uh, uh, as a uh, I don't know. Is that something you're always looking for in all of that kind of literature? Or are there just some novels that lend themselves to having, I don't know, a lot of cell phones and World of Warcraft? I, I think it is something that <laughs> I think in all literature, I think everybody's writing, trying to figure out how to do plot um, without the yeah. ease of just Google Such it, just yeah. cell phone somebody. Um, right. So I think. But I do think in children's stories, particularly when you're talking picture books and middle grade, um, you do want something that can kind of last, that different generations can enjoy together. Mm -hmm. Because often, especially with middle grade and picture books, kids are reading those with parents a lot mm -hmm. of times or grandparents. So there are layers to all those stories that different audiences can oh, really enjoy. But it's a real challenge. Uh, because, you know, it flashed into my head when you were saying that how the lament of every generation is, well, when I was younger, when things was were different. <laughs> yes. Living here, especially you'll hear, not, oh, yeah. not people older than us now, like when yeah. I was growing up, you know, we ran free in the city. Right. And the challenge to do something that will speak to them and the generation after them and the generation after them I'm not even talking about just, well, we have no cell phones in this. Exactly. It's that, you know, are you... Are you writing about free-range kids, helicopter parents? You know, it changes from generation to generation. What I'm trying to get at here, though, is the word of the day isn't steep or steep. It's middle grade, <laughs> and you are an expert in this. In fact, you have so much so. an MFA that I've never heard of before. <laughs> middle grade in children's <laughs> literature. So let's back up and, sure. and figure out how you got to this point where you became this your life's work. Okay. Um, well, I always... I loved children's books. I was one of those people who was reading children's books even as I got older and was in college. And I, I really always loved children's literature. What was it about it? I think there is a purity to children's literature and a hopefulness that um, when you start reading adult can die away a little bit. Like, I feel like the existential ending, yeah. I just, I'm like, I don't want to read that. I want the happy ending. I want the hope. <laughs> um, so, and I just, and especially picture books, I feel like have such a beautiful language and a simplicity mm -hmm. to them, but they are very hard to do and very complex. And the level of craft and skill it takes to write a picture book, I find really fascinating. Um, so I always loved them. And I thought, I always wanted to go and study more, and I thought if I could just study um, children's literature. And then I mentioned that to someone, and they said, you know, you can do that. And I was like, no, you can't. And they're like, yes, you can. There are whole programs. And there are whole programs throughout the United States that you can specifically study children's literature as 
um, a discipline and also in an MFA style setting. I think that would be very helpful. Like I can't, I wouldn't know how to begin to tell a story for a younger person. Well, and otherwise, if you're in a non-specific MFA program and you show up for a workshop with a children's story, I'm not sure the other people in the class are really on the same wavelength right, right. to help you at all. Right. I, I don't, yeah, I think it's a different way of writing. I mean, some of the elements are still all there, the plotting. Right. Well, the why theory. don't you tell us, I mean, because I, I think you're actually our very first really strictly middle grade writer. Oh. Um, we've had a few people who've published middle grade books, mm-hmm. but tell us what, what makes a middle grade novel, for example? What makes a middle grade? Is it just the age of the protagonist or are there things that happen or that a way of being that makes it middle grade? I think the the main thing that makes a middle grade novel is the age of the protagonist and the issue that the protagonist is dealing with is very much centered around what someone in a middle grade age range would be. And normally when we talk about middle grade, we're talking about eight to 12 mm-hmm. readers or so younger than younger, you might think. Yeah. yeah or and, even seven. And to is 12. that a subset of YA? It is not, no. Oh, ah. Look at you. Look at you. <laughs> Why One for BQ. is its own different category and it's, it's altogether. It's 13 to 17 or 13 to 18. It is. You'll have 12, 13-year-olds who are cross-reading. They're still reading some of the younger novels, and then they're aging up a little bit. I actually have a daughter who's 13, and she's a big reader, and... Um, some things she finds a little too edgy, but some things are too babyish. You know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really it's a hard age actually. It's, it's an in between age, and there's upper and lower middle grade as well. So there's some that's really targeted towards younger kids in elementary school, and some right. upper middle grade that's targeted still towards that sixth, seventh grade. By eighth grade, I think everyone, they're moving. They want to be moving. the other place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you know, word on the street is that <laughs> middle grade is hot. I that's the word on the street and to me too. Why? What? What? In what way is it hot? Why now? And how is it hot? That is an interesting question. Um, I think it's hot because I think that people are doing some really great things in middle grade. I think you're getting some really great stories that are really touching people in, in unique and special ways. I also think that in general, people are beginning to read middle grade outside of the middle grade audience and finding the charm in middle Mm -hmm. grade. And again, seeing those charming, hopeful um, stories that I was talking about, looking for a little hope. And the one thing that I love so much about middle grade is I feel like middle grade characters, there's such a purity to them. There's such a focus. Mm -hmm. They really, oftentimes in middle grade, you get kind of the the ideal of what the world should be, what the hero should be. And I think we need that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's why middle grade is having its moment. I hope middle grade always has its right. moment. Yeah. And when you write a, a middle grade novel, I noticed before you were talking in terms of classroom use. Yes, yes. Is that something that just you think about or is that something that's standard for someone writing middle grades you think at some point all right i want this to end up in the middle school library i want this to be taught in class i think that most people writing middle grade realize that teachers librarians are the 
the people that are introducing these stories to children, and of course the parents are as well, but by the time you're reading middle grade, you're more of an independent reader, and you're finding a lot of your books on library shelves, and a lot of times it's the librarian or the teacher Mm -hmm. that's handing you this book and saying, you know, this is a great book. This seems like you. You should read this. Um, And when you put it that way, that makes that librarian job seem pretty darn important. It really is. That librarians are the most fantastic people in the world. Agreed. My, My daughter and I have this um, we go to a lot of libraries, and we love librarians. And also, have you noticed librarians have this very unique sense of style? We call it library chic. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like it's like geek chic. It's like, yeah, it's like they they're the coolest people on the planet, and they know everything. So if you haven't talked to a librarian lately, librarians are really getting their due right now. I feel like there is a kind of uh, aura of coolness around librarians. Librarians are cool. I follow several on Twitter and they're really cool. They are so cool and they read so much and they can answer any question. It's Um, not like the old days, not like the days of It's a Wonderful Life. I've never seen that. You know, you've mentioned that before. It's tragic and terrible. You've never seen It's a Wonderful Life. I'm Jewish. (laughs) I think it was, was Capra not Jewish? Oh, he probably was, but so was (laughs) Irving Berlin. He wrote White Christmas. I know, exactly. Um, But I, I, I that's, but but in the in the alternate universe, and it's a wonderful life. The worst possible thing that could happen was that Mary, instead of being a mother, was a librarian. It's like a horrible oh, moment right, of right, like right, terror. Spencer, librarian, yeah. booking, book reading yeah. equals spinster. Yeah. yeah, and she now she has glasses even. Oh, so you can imagine how bad that is. How for shame. Yeah, very bad. <laughs> For the record, let's note that Victoria's the only one in here not wearing glasses. <laughs> because she has her contacts okay. in at this moment, but oh. I can't read anything on your page, actually, because I left my glasses and you're in Bridget's office. You could run back and get them if you want. So while you're at my office, tell the kids running in the hall to stop. Yeah, there's kids running in the hall. Tell them to sit down and enjoy a nice middle grade book instead. Oh, yeah, we should give them a book. Let's, I'm going to cheat a little bit here and ask you something I got off of another interview because I think it's a cool little story. Okay. We're going to go back to the book itself. And tell us what inspired the story. Mm. Oh, um, well, again, going back to my parents, who I think have had this big influence, I was kind of raised in this sort of um, culture of ghost stories and suspicion. And um, and one day I was in Virginia. I was in my graduate program, and my daughter and I were walking through a field, and the grass was um, knee high and we couldn't really see anything. And she kind of pulled at me and she said, mommy, um, look over there. Do you see that boy over there? And I looked in the direction she pointed and I didn't see what she saw. And I think because of being raised on all these superstitions and ghost stories, my first thought was not something rational, like, oh, there's a deer or just just something popping through the woods. What else? Oh my Lord, she's seen a ghost. And, um, and it was really from that moment that this idea of what if there was a girl and what if she did see a ghost and what if he weren't scary, but her best friend. Um, so, and I went home that night and started writing. Sparrow story. So you already had kids. How, so how, how long did it take to write this? Well, book? I was going to say at the yeah. story I read, the girl the girl was four. Yes, oh. and she. <laughs> and you just said she's a teenager. Um, the other thing too, I have to say is, um, as you both know, because you're both writers, um, 
storytelling people tell stories, and I think sometimes facts are fluid, right? Mm-hmm. When we tell the story. <laughs> yes. She could have actually been two or oh, four. Okay. Or, yeah, no, but she was very young. It actually took me about 10 years from wow. the inception. That's a very normal amount of time yeah. for yeah. first book. And when, and it, it, when you're a when you, when you haven't attempted this or you're a civilian, when someone says they spent 10 years to write a book, it sounds insane because you imagine them sitting there every day working only day, on that book yeah. for 10 years. Right. But that's not really how it works. You've done a lot of other things while you were writing this book. Yes. Um, yeah. Besides being a literary agent or working for an agency, right. um, you've taught. I did. I did. I taught middle school. I used to teach middle school in um, Washington Heights in New York City, and I loved that. Um, also, because I got to sit around. I taught English, so I got to sit around with my kids and read all the time. Um, they said they loved my class because we just filled it full of bean bags, and we basically just spent the year reading, which probably oh, <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, don't the state tell the of board. New York. Yeah, don't yeah. tell the board of ed, but um, yeah. but I think they. So, Larry, do you want to say something about? Middle school teachers. Yeah, I actually do. I brought this up in the uh, in the intro. I, I was a high school teacher, oh. and so was Bridget. Mm-hmm. And I remember a very specific time in my master's program when they took us to do an observation at a middle school. And afterwards, one of the one of our professors confided, like, we do this because it's really hard to get people to want to teach middle school. Like, no, it's it's because you yeah. know the kids are so. Unformed, crazy, yeah, a yeah. better word, unformed. <laughs> um, and crazy. they tried to sell us this middle school, and none of us bought it. We're like, are you kidding? I gotta teach those kids. I, well, I originally thought I would teach. I wanted to teach elementary school, third okay. to fifth grade. And the first job I got offered was for a sixth grade class, and I thought, oh, it's close. But that's okay. Oh, that's sorry to interrupt, but yeah. that yeah. blows my mind because I feel like those two jobs have very little in common. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think sixth graders are very close to fifth graders, but. But um, I, but getting into middle school, that is my favorite age. I love that age of kids. What do you love about it? Or I guess just what you were saying, purity. Yeah, I love, they they are very passionate. Um, I I also lead, my daughter has a Girl Scout troop and I lead her troop. And um, I love talking to them. They're super passionate. They're energetic. They're excited about everything. Their humor has really come on board. You can joke with them. Um, But there's still that sense of innocence in that age. And they still really want to be around the adults in their lives. And they want Mm -hmm. that input, especially if you're not their parent. Right. but then I think by the time high school, high schoolers scare me a little bit. It's funny because I once was picking up my daughter from kindergarten and one of the, and like there's kids running around everywhere. And one of the teachers said, the look on your face right now is how I feel when I go to the high school. Because <laughs> 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 I was a high school teacher and I find little kids terrifying. Like they I, respond to Yeah, I don't, but I wouldn't want, have wanted to teach. We, before we both agreed, like when we taught, we preferred the seniors to the ninth graders. Oh, yeah, which is easier. Because the ninth graders were kind of squirrely. Oh, they are. I think with the little kids and even um, middle school kids, the key is you treat them like cats. You pretend like you're not that interested. Oh, yeah. It's high school students <laughs> the same, yeah. Yeah. The less interest you pay in them, yeah. but then you respond when they come over to you. Yeah. Um, they seem to warm up the better, I think. Yeah, I think that is true. It seems like, just like such a heavy responsibility to me because if middle, middle school, school goes wrong, 
it goes wrong for a long Same time. High school? What? Yeah, but yeah. well, I just middle school to me seems like middle school was the worst years of my life, without a doubt. Oh, like I it love, never got worse. Thank I God. Loved middle school. <laughs> wow. I'm probably the only person on the planet who thought middle school was the greatest place. I think to you be. are. I have to say, so maybe you not. Have, you have a divine purpose. I know. <laughs> it's nice. It's fantastic. Yeah, I love that. I really did. I loved. I thought it was really fun. Well, so when you came west. Uh, and you left teaching and started working at agency, did you consider teaching out here? Or was there just too many weird California hurdles to get over? Uh, no, no. I actually, um, well, there's a few things that happened in between there, like another baby and some time off. Um, so I, I always think that I will probably go back to teaching at some point. Um, I love you know, I assist Laura Winnert, one of the agents at the agency, mm-hmm. and I love my job with her so much. Um, but I love teaching, and I don't know in what mm-hmm. capacity that would be, but um, I do feel like my heart is is also really there, entrenched in that um, that job and that purpose. That's really fantastic to hear. Yes. And do you so feel nice. like you can uh, reach a little bit of that by writing middle grade books? I don't n- so I don't know if I have that sense of purpose when I'm writing, which maybe is awful to say. I just want to tell a really good story about the time that and the age that I really enjoy mm-hmm. looking back on and mm-hmm. writing about. And I think the middle schoolers in middle grade books, they go on the best adventures, which is why I really enjoy writing middle grade. Right. They have a little agency, but not a car. Exactly. Exactly. And there's no, you know, they don't have to have, they can have a little cute, sweet crush, but we don't have to have big love. Sex. Sex, triangles. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I was so shocked the first time we had YA writers on mm-hmm. how racy they were. Oh, boy. They are they racy. Were super racy. They can be racy. I was, yeah, I was a little shocked. <laughs> <laughs> it was very, the first one was Frank Portman. That one starts out, woo. Yeah, woo. I liked it. I enjoyed it. But, yeah, yeah, there's some racy stuff. I mean, and I love to read it and I like yeah. to enjoy it. I just, I like the. Yeah, um, more innocent. I get it. Innocent. I totally get it. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess then my professors would have been happy to find you because you're someone who has a passion for that age group. Yes. You feel like you can speak most directly to them. Okay, let's go through the 10 years just for our uh, civilian <laughs> listeners who are picturing you sitting at a desk for 10 years. So, oh, <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't sit through the desk for 10 this. years. How long did it take you to write the first draft, and how closely does it resemble yeah, the finished product? That is a great question. Um, so it took me five years to write the first 20 pages. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but I kept rewriting those first 20 pages over and over again. No, not no. allowed to do that. And no, can I, I just tell no people that is the about. worst, worst way to write yeah. a book. Yeah, but they were great at the end of that five years. No, they, they were ha- perfect And pages. did you end up using any of those pages? Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> See? <laughs> See? You just got to get it down. You have to get it down. And so then I had to pages. get my master's thesis done. And um, I don't know if you are familiar with Lewis Busby, he yeah. wrote The Bridge of Time. And um, we I met him at a writing conference and Jennifer March Salloway, who is also a um, agent at Andrew uh, Brown. And friend of the Grotto. And, and friend of the Grotto. And Grotto member. We were yes. doing a, um, a writing group with Lewis as our leader. And Lewis said, Victoria, uh, a master's thesis is not a finished book. Just write 
the silly thing. Um, yeah. Although he probably, well, he probably didn't use anything. Any he probably didn't that, say silly. No, but he probably didn't say anything too racy either. Okay. But, um, no, but he, yeah. <laughs> but so then it took me um, two weeks to write to the end of the draft. Oh, wow. I'm going to say it was a terrible of end course. of the draft. It was only 150 pages. I'm more so interested wasn't. in how did that two no. weeks feel versus the five years preceding it? Did a you perfection. feel unleashed? Yeah. Yes, liberating. But I, 150 pages in two weeks is a lot. It's a lot of... No matter how bad it is. It's a lot yeah. of content. And I find I'm a very commando-style writer. I realize like I will not write, and then I will just kind of, that really works for me to kind of just write really fast for a really You're long a binge period writer. of time. I'm a binge writer. That's how you That's are. Right. Yeah, I'm a binge writer too. Yeah, it works. Um, so, but none of that story is remotely similar to this story, mm-hmm. but you know how it is. You have to just get something down. It's almost like you're yeah. outlining or Completely. drafting. What I think is crazy though is that as you were updating it, you probably didn't realize that eventually it was not going to resemble the first story? Or did you just say, yeah, scrap this, like the characters, go start over? No idea. But I think what is what surprised me more in the end is how much all that writing that gets thrown out comes back in yes. in a different way. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel like any of that drafting is wasted drafting because it all ends up back in. I really believe nothing is wasted. Yeah, I don't nothing, think nothing, I agree. Nothing, nothing. It's incredible to me how many... I just finished an essay I worked on for six years, and the key to finishing it, finally, to like making it all work, was something I had been trying for 10 years. This other essay had nothing to do oh, with it. Oh, yeah. And I realized, oh, that thing actually goes in here. And again, and listeners, like, BQ wasn't sitting at a desk for six years. Not <laughs> at all. She wrote a book in the meantime. <laughs> no, I did some other things. But I just mean, like, it seemed like a completely failed thing that was never going to work and I forgot about. And then suddenly it was the key to this totally other piece I was working right, on. Right, right. Um, and that just reminded me of how don't throw anything away. No. <laughs> don't throw anything away. Don't throw anything away. Yeah. And it's also okay to not know where you're going yeah. when you're mm-hmm. writing. And I do think that um, allowing... As a writer, if you just allow yourself to write what's in your head and not self-edit, um, you'll be surprised at what comes out in that process. Because I think that was why it took me so long and I struggled with the first five pages. I was also in an MFA program where you're taking those pages all the time to workshop and you're getting way too much way feedback, too much feedback yeah. and yeah. trying to fix them and you can never move forward. So, And everybody always says, take the feedback, set it aside, move forward, come back to it. But you know you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Like right. You get feedback and you're like, I want to fix this. So what did you do when you had that 150 pages? Uh, turned it in for mm-hmm. my, um, actually first I gave it to Lewis and Lewis Busby was really great. He's like, these are, he kept calling my, my work in project progress or a manuscript, a book, which I think he was the first person who ever called oh, it a book. It's nice. little things. It's some, a big deal, right? Yeah. 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 yeah and I think there's something that yeah. him calling it a book for some reason really shifted in my mind and made me take it a little bit more seriously. Um, I sent that in, got my thesis, got graduated, and then I actually um, put it aside for a few months and entered um, a contest called Pitch Wars. With oh, I know what Pitch Wars. I've heard of that. That's like a Twitter thing, right? It's a Twitter thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a Twitter thing. It wasn't as much of a Twitter thing when I first entered mm-hmm. it, or maybe it was, but I didn't realize it. Um, but yeah, and then I, I got picked up for someone and then got some agency interest and... Um, Agent interests are not agents. Are you teaching at this time? I'm not teaching right now. Okay. No, I'm just 
working for the, um, just working for Laura. No, no, I meant at this point. After you got your MFA while oh, you were writing this, were you teaching? No. No, I had uh, three little guys at home, girls and oh. guys. So, um, full-time job. Full-time so job. So more than full-time. I mean, it's actually kind of a miracle to me when people can get writing done under those circumstances, but people do it all the time. It's- I think writing a motherhood is a very interesting um, event. <laughs> and for a lot of fathers, too. I mean, yes. I know a lot of guys who've had kids at the grotto, and Larry raised his kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. I was home, but, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, how did you find, how did you do it? I, I mean, I think you just have to decide that this is your, you know, hobby. Like, some people will, you know, use their spare time to cook, or they'll, mm. not to diminish any of these things, or they'll they'll yeah. do other interests, but you you have to just decide that this is it. Or and, um, and you have to, I mean, you know, there are times when I didn't see friends. You don't see friends. You make other choices. You're like, I can't really go out, you know, have a social life and have raise three children and, and write a book. I hope this doesn't come out wrong, but you just described it as a hobby. I and know. I was wondering <laughs> if it, it got discouraging mm-hmm. if, you're, if your friends would go, Oh, she can't come out. She's working on her little hobby. <laughs> or on her book, book quote-unquote. Yeah. I mean, quote-unquote. And you're I just find another mommy hard. working on a book. Yeah. yeah. I find it hard even now yeah. to say to people, I can't. I'm working. They're like, what are you doing? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think, well, I was just saying, you know, you put your interest in something else. But um, I, I think it's always hard when to think of yourself as a writer when you don't have something published. I think even looking at this book here, I think it's still hard for me to think of myself as a writer. Oh, no, you're a writer. <laughs> Verifiable, for sure. A lot of people wander around, me included, don't have one of those, call M- themselves writers. MFA, <laughs> yeah. MFA plus published book. 100%, Equals writer. 100%. Congratulations. But Thank you're you. probably close to the 100th person to say that. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think that's par for the course. And I wonder how much of it comes from the difficulty that we have translating it to normal nine to five people. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, I just went away on a trip with lots of my wife's friends who have the same and similar jobs and they can mm-hmm. talk about that. But you know You have us. Yeah, I have you yeah. guys, but what are you we you know yeah. what are you up to? I sit in a room and I type and I'll get paid. But. <laughs> I know, and then I sit and I talk about it. Maybe someday it'll be something you can read. Maybe not. But. Yeah, yeah. Probably it will be. Yeah. It will probably be. it will be. It probably yes. it will be. I know it's a, it's a hard job to qualify. And also, too, I don't know in those conversations, if you mention you're a writer, people always oh, ask, what, do you what, you're, what are you writing about? Yeah. And it always uh, sounds stupid. Oh, it sounds so stupid. Yeah. It's worse. And it's you're like, you're so sweaty. excited yeah. about it and you start to say and what you you're writing. Tell and them. and it just sounds dumb. It's like, so yeah, and then you're like, oh, let's talk about something else. I know. Oh, it's the worst. And then when, and we've talked about this many times, but you say, I'm a writer, and they go, Oh, what do you write? What do you write? <laughs> like, oh, nonfiction. What's that? <laughs> so do you write novels? Right. Are you in your case? You know, I write novels. Oh, are they fiction? Like, yeah. It's nice to have been. I was a newspaper columnist. Oh, I know that's. Perfect. It's nice to have Everybody that. Knows to what that is. Oh, yeah. Yes, I'm a journalist. Yes. Yeah, yeah I'm a journalist really is good. Journalist, Everyone knows what that means. But you could say I I'm like a columnist. I'm a and then everyone. You could say like, well, I was a, I was formerly a columnist, but now I'm working doing some of my own work. Right. That's my story. I'm working on my own a couple project. Years I decided to ditch that. But then I said, oh, I'm doing podcasts now, yeah, too. I mean, you can hear me all over the place. Right. It is interesting how when you're a writer, you feel like you need to have some sort of definable job oh, yeah. that you can share with people yeah. 
adjacent to your writing. It was one of the reasons I loved when I was a teacher, just because it gave me an answer. It what does. You, I'm a high school teacher. I know. Oh, yeah, yeah. that must be very challenging. Although I also feel like teaching is one of those jobs where you mention it and it sort of stops the conversation. And people get a little, little patronizing. They do. They're like, oh, oh that's great. It's the hardest job there is. Except being a mom. And then you kind of like they you. edge away from you. Like they're like, okay, I don't want to talk to the teacher anymore. Let me Maybe go talk Maybe they think to they'll me. get busted. They'll send her to the principal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, but there's also this feeling of like, oh, you're a teacher because you couldn't do something else. Well, there those who can't that. do. Those who can't can do teach. teach. Right. Who said that? And My why? dad said it all the time. <laughs> Did you ever? Oh. I had a guy once. It was a friend of ours, fiance. It was the first <clears> time <throat> we were meeting him, and I said, "I'm a teacher." God, this teacher when I was in high school, man. And, he, for the, <laughs> and the next half hour, I proceeded to tell oh. about this teacher who busted him for having I don't know weed or something in class. <laughs> I was like, "Well." What else, dude? Good, well, thanks. I'm glad. Good, don't, glad to be here. The, what's for the lesson you. there? Don't bring weed to class. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Life lesson. Life lesson. So we're five years into the process, <laughs> and I'm not going to stop because I want to get up. To, you want to get the whole timeline. I don't know if I can remember the timeline. But now that you had an agent and 150 pages that are completely different from that book sitting right there. Well, so I should say that the 150 pages. Got totally rewritten for Pitch Wars yep. mm. before I went back out. So that was iteration number two or three. Um, and then I got an agent, which happened to be lovely Laura Rennert, which I feel like oh. that's just the jackpot. Yeah, it is. Because I hadn't really... I was working for her, but I didn't Isn't really... Isn't that kind of weird um, that you work oh, you for her? Like you're, for her? you're her client and her... No, uh, and she's your boss? Not at all. It's not? That's so no, good. No, because she is just the most amazing person. That's so good because so many planet. people are afraid of their agents or intimidated to have connection with them. It, I know. I understand why. It's yeah. totally scary. Yeah, but yeah. What I love about um, my relationship with Laura is that I know her. I, I've watched her be such a great agent to other mm-hmm. people. Yeah, and that's I nice. know that she is always on my side and in my corner and she just wants what's best for the book and for me and it's um that is huge she's a really i I think she's a really special person um but while i was started working for her i felt you know i didn't feel that comfortable crossing those lines so Mm -hmm. i hadn't really mentioned to her that i was working on a book until pitch wars and actually can you explain to to our listeners what pitch wars is and how it works sure um so pitch wars is a um is a contest that comes through mostly on twitter i think now um and what happens is you submit your you submit a piece of writing and um, there are they have mentors so they hook you up with mentors Brenda Drake I think is the um, brainchild behind Pitch Wars and there are usually um, uh, other writers who will mentor a potential project that they like and then they help you um, get your project ready for submission to agents and they they kind of like they're like a fairy godmother to to a is writer it like the voice. It is. It is exactly <laughs> like that. They. It's exactly it you all like that. Fluent in pop exactly, culture. Yeah. So, and it's a really special. Um, it's a really special program, I think, which allows writers who have kind of made it to give back to writers who are trying to get there. Mm-hmm. And That's amazing to me. It's really, and they volunteer their time. Mm-hmm. No one's getting paid. Um, is it all YA and middle grade, or are there? 
I think it is mostly because I've only really seen it in that arena. I think I think it's mostly yeah. um, YA middle grade. And they might they might have expanded out since. Okay, we can look into that. We can look into that. Um, now I've kind of lost the trajectory of the five years. I don't even know where we are. So now <laughs> you have. Now you've got an agent. Now I have an agent. Yeah. Who's your boss? Who's my boss? Who's wonderful? And um, and so she gave me feedback because I'm sure you guys work with agents. She said, well, "I think we should fix these things." Um, and she was 100% right. So we rewrote it um, maybe two or three times, um, oh. trying to f- fix it, um, trying to make it really marketable. And then um, that pro- that process, we probably revised for a year together. And then it probably took another um, six months to sell it. And then it's Mal- kind of a long time, actually, isn't it? It adds up. It adds up. I'm trying to think when we no, maybe- I mean the six months to tell to sell like. Mm. Um, when we went out, maybe I'm getting my time wrong, actually. We went out in the maybe early summer, and I think by July or August, uh, Mallory Cass from Scholastic had. Yes, you're right. I don't think it was that long. Just because usually if it's that long, it's not a good sign. <laughs> it's going to come around. <laughs> Speaking from personal experience. I think um, I did misspeak. I think that it, I think it went so a lot then, faster So then you that. get an editor, you get a house that's interested, and did you have to do another rewrite? Not a complete rewrite. We Mallory Cass bought it, and pretty much then we just kind of fixed a few things, and then it went out. As wow! So, and here it is. I'm and here it, it is. now. And here, and here it, is. it is. And I'm curious. It's it's a pretty heavy book too, though. Uh, lengthwise, no, or no. Content wise, content wise, some stuff happens. Some stuff happens in the book. And was that a concern, or not even a concern? But I feel like how kids does, like that. Well, how does it impact how it's sold and 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 yeah, and were some people concerned or? Um, no, I no, I don't think there were any concerns about that at all. I think that is one of the sometimes a misconception about children's literature. The is kids that can't handle it. That kids can't handle mm. it, or that um, children's authors write down to kids, or that you know we're not mm-hmm. tackling real things. But I think that's one of the other great things about um, this whole industry or this whole genre is they're really tackling heavy things and I think kids really mm-hmm. appreciate it when you're talking to them and not at them or But is there um, is there a certain lightness of touch that you have to use? Is there a certain do you know what I'm getting at? That that you have to present it you can use heavy topics and heavy issues, but you have to present them in a different way than you would if you were talking to an adult. Yes. I do I do think there is a, a gentleness with which you write about certain things that are more difficult and you write about them in a, in a way that is appropriate for children to read, definitely. Yeah, you're taking a risk there. Yeah. I do feel like a lot of children's literature involves death, for example, and that that is a it, topic that's really kids like. Especially parent death. Yeah, like, well, that's I, – see, I, I, I think – I mean, I've always thought that the parents dying was sort of a plot necessity to allow agency. It is. But – Or it can be. It can be. But, I mean, like Harry Potter or, or – Or parents dying or otherwise Gretel, occupied. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. Or like off yeah. to war. So yeah. Yes. Or what have you. Because um, you're trying to get the parents out of the way. But so like the there's that, what is it, the bridge to Terabithia? Mm-hmm. Is that, uh, you know, and I I remember there was a book I loved when I was a kid where one kid gets stung by a bee and dies from it. And I loved that. I know. Wasn't that that movie with Macaulay Culkin? I don't know. Did they make it My Girl? Oh, Maybe. Maybe. Spoiler alert. Okay, sorry, guys. Um, but there, there were a lot <laughs> of books like that. Oh, Where the Red Fern Grows. If you guys don't yeah. know how that ends, whoa, prepare yourselves. Um, you know, there, there's something that I think they're looking for, that emotional charge, maybe. I, I think also, too, children's literature becomes the safe space for kids to explore and experience things that they are afraid mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. And they know that the author is going to take care of them. Mm-hmm. So it's okay to delve into those feelings. I think kids think a lot about death, especially the death too. of a parent, because mm-hmm. um, their whole security base is yeah. based on, or their caregiver, whether whoever that caregiver is, that person that makes mm-hmm. their world secure. Well, one of the differences between childhood and adulthood is we don't like to think about the worst thing we can imagine. No. And yeah. sometimes they do. Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah it's true. It's really think, true. I think they do because also they can't really conceptualize it. They haven't seen it. It's yeah. all sort of right. fantasy and, <laughs> well, you know, um, to a certain extent, they haven't seen. So now that it's come out horrible segue. Just a pause and then boom, moves right on. That's the way it is. Now that it's come out, um, how's it going? It's going great. Uh, Yeah, it's been really exciting. I think I didn't, there's part of me that didn't think people, you know, you write a book (laughs) and then you actually buy it. Yeah, or read it. You're like, oh, people are actually reading. Because you know, when you write, it's such a personal, um, you're putting your heart and soul into that experience. Have you done your hometown reading yet? I I did a book, um, my book release party was at Book Passage, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of my friends and neighbors came, and I think Good. that was, it was really nice. so satisfying. Not a hobby. Like, I made something. <laughs> I mean, they, my, I feel like the community's been so supportive and so excited, and they're That's like, great. you wrote a book. Um, but that was hard. It was really hard in that environment to talk and to read. I don't know why. I have a question. So if you've been a member of a community, let's say a school, Mm -hmm. and they know you as your Mm -hmm. kid's parents and you go to all this stuff, and I imagine since you're a Girl Scout troop leader, you're the kind of person who's involved in this stuff. Yeah, I go to a lot of stuff. And all of a sudden, you have a book and you have some notoriety. How do, do they treat you differently? Do they start asking more of you? Did they say, hey, maybe you can donate some books? Oh, no, I actually haven't gotten that request. Um, I haven't Reach done... out, people. <laughs> Reach out. <laughs> I, I have gotten um, requests to come speak, which has been lovely, and a lot of encouragement. I do now when I walk through the library at my son's school, I do get the librarian going, that's Victoria. Yeah, she yeah. wrote The Spirit of Cactail oh, County, and all the kids so are nice. like, and they're like, Order three. Like, rem- We're going to order three. I remember that from the other side. I used to do my son's books or school's book fair. Yes. And we would sit down at the beginning in the committee and go, okay, what parents are involved with books? You know, who's published? Who is a publisher? Oh, we had a publisher. Oh, that's nice. You know, who's written something? Who can we get? And that's where we'd start. So you're probably going to get that request. I love that request. Yeah, that it's a pretty good request. That come all day long, so I'm pretty <laughs> excited. And that's one of the things I love about being a scholastic because oh, they right. do the book fairs, which is really – it's like they still do that? They do that. Whoa, and do you my. Remember? the only ones. We did it on our own, and you can't anymore. 
because oh. there's no bookstores. Right. Yeah. Some some actually uh, uh, Books Inc. does their they do. Book fairs. We used to go with who was the one in Berkeley? They're gone now. Not Kepler's. Who I forget. But they. It was just a study and getting harder and harder every year for them to give it to get us books. Yes. Wow. And, and Book Passage does a lot of book mm-hmm. fairs as well. But I love, I feel like it's kind of the dream if you want to be a kid's author to end up with Scholastic. Oh, for sure. And, for sure. You know, that pamphlet. And you're oh, like, oh, I also love I love so that pamphlet. Much. Will you be doing other readings? I will. I'm actually going to be at Annie Bloom's Books in Portland, Oregon on September 23rd. That's a Sunday. I hope oh, that's scary. the right date. Um, it's, I think it's actually a Tuesday, so maybe oh. I'm giving you the wrong date. 25th. Mm. <laughs> He's amazing. That's bad. He's I'm our not. savant. I'll leave it at that. Do you, are you, do you just have a running? No, I'm not Mary Lou Henner. I just, um, <laughs> Can she do that? We have a party to go to on the 22nd, oh. <laughs> and that's a Saturday. Yes. So you, I may be picking the wrong date. I think it's a Tuesday. Um, Portland, big book town. Big Portland, book town. It's a great book town. Yeah, it rains a lot. Um, and I'll be doing some talks around schools in the fall when the fall starts. So that's exciting. Some readings and some talks. And that's been really great. It is much easier to talk to a room full of um, third graders and fourth graders. Mm, whoa. I did that. I did a couple of um, talks to the classroom, and that was easier than a group full of adults. Adults make my heart pound. And but were these events arranged by Scholastic? Um, partly. Uh, they're kind of, they were in conjunction with Scholastic Book Fair. Mm. Um, but they're... Oh. Yeah. You're on that circuit. On that circuit. That's a good circuit to be part of. And are you already working on book number two? I am playing with book number two. Hopefully not writing the first 20 pages for another five say, years. Right. It'll be coming weeks. out in like, 2028. <laughs> um, and when you got this first one published, what sort of expectation was there for book number two? From my publisher? Yeah, publisher, um, agent, everyone, up and down. You, your friends. I think I think I have I feel like I've been so lucky through this process. I have the best agent in the world and I have the best editor in the world. Um uh Mallory Cass who also she's also the editor for Snicker of Magic. So I don't know if you know that book, but it was a New York Times bestseller. They've just been great. I don't know, there there's no pressure. It seems like to just they want me to just do what I'm doing. So so nice. Children's yeah. literature is really, really friendly. It's a little kinder. Than it's the... ki- It's a very. I don't know because I've not been in the adult world, but I know that I have the children. I love my editor and love my agent yeah. too. And I don't. I, mean, I think you can just get lucky. I think book people are d- yeah. the nicest people in general. <laughs> That's what I think about you, Larry. I'm not a book person. I'm just a <laughs> yes, podcast person. You, Here I am. You are. Here you are. You I think Victoria is the nicest person ever. I know. She's super nice. I'm not saying you're that nice. I'm just saying you're very okay. lovely. Well, thank you. I appreciate you're it. You're welcome. I won't deflect. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, we are just about out of time. So you told us a couple of reading dates, but why don't you tell us um, your website and... Do you do the Twitter with the enthusiasm of your friend, Jennifer March Soloway? 
Jennifer March Soloway is a Twitter master. And this I, is true. And I aim to uh, aspire to be her on Twitter. I am on Twitter. I love the community with Twitter. It can be really engaging and fun. And You're the first person to I ever just, say that's that. Why my eyes widened. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. Maybe the children's book community on Twitter I, is nicer than the real one. Well, I follow and I'm connected with a lot of teachers and librarians. Oh, yeah. That so, sounds nice. Yeah. So I think they are. And also there's several children children's um, literature agents that tweet out. And I feel like it's a really nice, that's a really nice community. And if people want to join your nice community, where can they find you? They can find me at um, victoriapiontech.com. And my Twitter is just Victoria Piontek. P-I-O-N-T-E-K. Yes. It's good to have a name like that. Yeah. We have bad names. Yeah. Mine's only part of a name. There's usually extra pieces on it. Oh, so you could use Lawrence Rosen and get your Twitter handle? I didn't even think of that. You didn't even think of that? Nope. Wow. <laughs> what about your website? Same thing. You just said it's it. Yep. com. Pretty simple. Instagram? Or Victoria, is that personal? N- oh, no. You can follow me on Instagram as well. Please do. Yeah, it's follow. Victoria Piantech Books. Um, so that, and my, you can email me at Victoria Piantech, um, books at gmail.com. Um, so you can write me a note. I'll write you back. Oh, um, and follow me on Instagram and Twitter. We have some giveaways coming up oh, in the fall. Okay. There you go. Um, with a lot of other middle grade authors, we're going to be doing a um, "What Does Home Mean to You" giveaway for the fall around November. I think. Are those all professional, or do they also get agent stuff, Girl Scout stuff, school stuff? Uh, so mostly, oh, I'm on my, um, yeah, on my all social your... media. Mostly, I focus on professional book. Mm-hmm stuff not so much the girl scout, girl scout stuff. stuff no but i but it's okay i would talk if you want to talk to me about girl scouts talk to me about girl scouts i love i love working with you have dueling scouts in your family don't you i do your I, boys. I googled your husband and he's also involved in, oh you google, well, I google both of you that's my job he's so excited that his name is on a book he keeps saying yeah. i wrote a book <laughs> <laughs> i once told larry that I'm my husband that was not nowhere exactly. on the internet and he texted me back a picture of my husband I had never seen before from the internet, like a second later. I'm a Google ninja. It was insane. That's impressive. Well, that's that um, columnist, journalist. Yes, yeah, totally. Really just, you yeah. know how to dig because you know something you get about. So I Googled you. Oh. But I couldn't find anything, so I called Jennifer. <laughs> I, well, I was just, I'm not, I don't, you I'm, not, I'm not very, I'm not, yes, exactly. I'm not very, like, source. I don't dig very hard. Yeah. I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to call Jennifer. A little switch. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. After we're off, Mike, I'll tell you, like, the the process, how it works. Because it, it, in your case, it was kind of fascinating because I couldn't find anything either for a long time. Oh, on me? Yeah, I'm like, I need something more than well, that. Well, we can, can find, you can find, you can find, you can find bios and things, but yeah. we're looking for, like, I'll, I'll like do reality. Like some, some dirt. Yeah, I'll do a short Yeah, like the, you know, the work. centerfold, whatever. But yeah. BQ, let's talk about us for a moment. Oh, my God. How I long to talk about us. that discussion. Yes. Okay. Uh, let's say someone wants to get a hold of you. Oh, in that case, they really should email me at BridgetQuintAuthor.com or follow me on Twitter. I'll follow you back pretty much always, unless you're really scary. And that is at BQuintRest. Now, if I don't follow you back, you're going to think it's because I think you're scary. It might just take a little while. Now you've done it. I know. Damn it. Um, oh, and Instagram's the same, at B Quintrust. <clears throat> you can find me on the Twitter at that Larry Rosen, not Lawrence Rosen. Uh, Instagram, same deal. Uh, my website is not for this podcast, but for my other podcast. It is isitgoodforthejews.com. 
As for the Grotto Pod, you can find us at the Grotto Pod at Instagram and. Uh, you know, Don't forget the, to take a picture. I, so I'm reaching all the way to we're done. Uh, Instagram, we have, we have Instagram and Twitter. Now we need pictures. Um, you can email us at grottopod at gmail dot com. Did, did I you notice that? The did Grotto you notice Pod? that I didn't know our email address? Yeah, I did. I did notice Sorry. that. It's all right. Um, I got nothing else to say. I'll tell you that. Okay. Right now. I, well, I want to thank our producers Beth Weingarner, Lee Kravitz, and Lori Ann Doyle, and Sugartown for the music, and also the San Francisco Public Library. By the time this airs, you will have attended our fantastic oh, event with yes. uh, Matthew, Matthew Zapruder, Zapruder. Poet, uh, where we discuss his favorite book. Uh, also, our other partner we want to thank. Babylon Salon, next the Bay Area's e- premier literary. Next event, event, September 3rd. And that's going to be really good, you guys. Uh, Tommy Orange, they're yeah. there. It's going to be there. And if Mary Lou Henner was here, she could tell you what day of the week that is. Uh, I don't know, but my birthday is the first. Oh, we're going to have a little party after so that. So let's, let's think about me. We're just babbling now, but there is one more thing to say. Okay, what we need to say is to read, write, and just keep working.